Only thou art holy, there is none beside yes. Perfect in power, love and purity. Amen. You all give me our song for you this morning. We'll sing a song that you all know well, so I would encourage you to sing along. But we'll sing, what, what should we do with this God that we've beheld, with this holy God? Well, nothing else other than to say that He is our all in all. Um, so let's, we'll sing next the song, All in All.
how could how could he not be our all in all? How could he not be our everything? Seeing what he's done for us, seeing who he is, I pray that you can sing that along with us this morning, that Jesus is your all in all. Let's go ahead and take a few minutes of fellowship before we get to the sermon. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 27, and uh, if you're looking for a, a special Mother's Day sermon, then turn to Matthew 27, and, and this is going to be our Mother's Day sermon today in, in the uh, passage that we're supposed to be in. So Matthew 27, we'll be looking at verses 11 through 22. We're studying the most important day in the history of the world, the day that Jesus went to a cross and died for our sins. Uh, there's no more important event, no more important day that's ever been than this day. And so we've been walking our way event by event, one by one, looking at the things that we're building up to the cross. And today we come to uh, an important question that's asked on this day. And, and I think it may be the most important question that's ever been asked. You'll see it there in verse 22 that Pilate asks that. It's a question that, that Pilate asks. It's, it's a question that all of us must ask ourselves. Uh, so I want you all to ask that question today. Not just that Pilate would, but that you would ask this question. And the question is, and that's the title of the sermon, is what should I do 
with Jesus Christ? I don't think there's any better question that we could be asking today. Don't you love that when we, when we open up the Bible and we teach it, that we're not dealing with trivial things. We're dealing with the most important things in all life and eternity. And there's nothing more important than the question, what will you do with Jesus Christ? So let's stand together. I want to read, I'm going to start in verse 11, and I'm not going to read the entire passage down to 26. I'm going to go to verse 22, and I'm going to get to that question, and I want to pose it to you. It's a very personal question. Pilate's saying, what am I going to do with him? I want you to answer, what am I, me personally, going to do with Jesus? So starting there in verse 11, it says, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a, a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when he was set down in the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the two will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? I'm going to stop right there at that question that I'm going to set before every single one of you today. What will you do with Jesus? That is the question of life and eternity. So we'll answer that question today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that when we open your word that we are dealing with the most important things in life and eternity. That when we walk into church, we're not dealing with the trivial matters, the little things. We're dealing with the big things. We're dealing with things that really matter. And I love that. These are weighty issues. This is a weighty question. And God, I pray that, that I would show just how important this question is today and how important the answer is and that we would all be thinking today in our pews, what have I done or what shall I do with this man they call Jesus? The answer to this question will determine one's eternity. And God, I pray today that if there's someone in here, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, that has not responded in the right way to Jesus, that today they would respond in faith to Jesus Christ. Please, God, use this passage by your Spirit to accomplish your work. Please. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. They say, and, and I, you read this across the board, that they say there's three big questions in life. Three very big questions that, that need to be answered, that everybody has been trying to answer throughout really all of time. And the three big questions are, are this, and, and, and you guys are familiar with these things, but question number one is, where do we come from? Where did all this begin? Uh, we, we know the answer to that question, but everybody's trying to answer that. Where did we come from? Question number two, why are we here? What's the point in life? Why are we living day to day and, and walking through life like we do? What's the, the point of it all? That would be question number two. And then question number three is, what happens to us when we die? Where do we go when we pass from this life into the next one? And there's all kinds of ideas that people have in answering these questions. And these are very big questions, but I think that this passage today gives us an even bigger question than these. The question that we have here in front of us today is, what shall I do with Jesus? And I think this question will determine how you answer the other three big questions. What shall I do with Jesus? It's been called the question of the ages. It's been said that this question rings out throughout the centuries. That no matter where you are, you're going to hear this question. What shall you do with Jesus? If you were in the early ages of the, when the church first began, or, or when they're saying it here, it's what will you do with Jesus? As you get into the first century, it's what will you do with Jesus? As you go through the, all the ages, and it's, it's the same thing ringing in the ears of every person who's ever lived. What shall you do with Jesus? And it's in your ears today. It rings out at West End Baptist Church today. As you're sitting in your pews on Mother's Day, you know, the question comes to you, what am I going to do with Jesus? This is a question that everyone will answer. This is a question that will determine 
the life you live here and your eternity after you die? This is the question of the ages. And it's a question asked by a man named Pilate. He's introduced to us here, really, if you want to turn back with me, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 27. As they're moving Jesus from one place to the other. He's already had the religious trials, which there were three of them. And they found Him guilty of blasphemy because He claimed to be God. And now they're moving Him not to the, to the religious trials, because those are over with and done. He's now moving in the early morning to what we would call the Roman trials, the, the civil, the governmental trials, because they know they can't kill Jesus. That power has been stripped from the Jews, and they know if they're going to get Jesus killed, they're going to have to go through the right authorities, the Romans, to get that done. So in the early morning, it says in verse 1, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus because they wanted to put Him to death. And they knew they couldn't do it. It was not in their hands. Capital punishment had been taken away from them. They didn't have the, the power. So now it says in verse 2, when they bound Him, they led Him away and delivered Him unto a man named Pontius Pilate, the governor. And now we're introduced to a man that we're all very familiar with. They take Him to the judgment hall they take him to the, the place where all citizens would be tried. We would think of a courtroom scene, but this would be an outside scene where Pontius Pilate would be standing up above all of, of the people and they bring Jesus bound in front of Pilate to have him tried. Pilate's the governor or the judge. He's over this whole area of Judea. He's a powerful man. He's a ruthless man. He's a bloodthirsty man. He didn't care to get his hands dirty. And he will now, in this passage, be the judge over Jesus. He will first answer this question. What am I going to do with Jesus? They bring him and set him in front of, in front of Pilate. Pilate wasn't even looking for this. But on that day, on that morning, he had, he had Jesus brought before him. And, and now the question of all eternity is ringing in, in Pilate's ears. What am I going to do with this man they call Jesus? And we'll see him make a decision. We'll see his response. And, and his response is famous for being wrong. But I think we see more than Pilate's response. I think we see four responses here in this passage. So I've got four points for you today. I usually do three, so for Mother's Day I added an extra. So today I want to show you four responses. And by the time we're done, you'll see all four answers to what will we do with Jesus. And then I will let it ring in your ears at the end of the sermon on what are you going to do with Jesus. So let's look at these four responses to the biggest question that's ever been asked. What should I do with Jesus? Starting in verse 11, I want to show you that the leaders, their response was, what would be the leaders? And you see them there in verse 12, the chief priests and the elders, that's your, the leaders, the religious leaders of the day, their response to Jesus is they hated Jesus. This would be an antagonistic response. They, they couldn't stand Jesus. We could go all the way back to, I think it's Matthew 26, when, when, they, when we start this, it says, watch this, they assembled in verse 3 the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people under the palace of the high priest, which is called Caiaphas, and they consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. These religious leaders absolutely hated Jesus. I'm going to get into it in just a second, but there are many people in our world today who have that same response to Jesus. They absolutely hate him. They can't stand Him. They can't stand the words that He says. They can't stand what He did. There is an antagonistic response to Jesus. Maybe not in here today, but outside these walls, people still hate Jesus. Jesus said, if the world hates you, understand they hated Me first. As we go out of the world, there's going to be hatred against Jesus. So let me show it to you. Verse 11. Jesus stood before the governor, the judge, He's walked in bound before the judge, Pilate. And the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And that's kind of a funny question to ask. I mean, why is he asking that? Are you the, that's the first question that he asks when he's under the lights of, of uh, an interrogation and they look at him and say, Are you the, the king of the Jews? Why is he asking that? This is the accusation that was being made. I want you to turn with me to Luke. I, I got to bring you back and forth to some passages to show you the fullness of this story, but or the scene. 
I want you to, Luke 23 kind of gives us an idea of why he's asking. Are you the king of the Jews? That's what they were accusing him of. Well, watch this. In verse 1 of chapter 23, Luke 23, it says, And the whole multitude of them arose and they led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him. So now they've walked him in front of Pilate, and Pilate says, what has this man done wrong? And they start throwing accusations out against Jesus, trying to get him killed. And what does it say? Here's those three accusations they make. And when they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow. <laughs> yeah, they found him in the garden, because they were looking for him. And what was he doing? He's perverting the nation, or that would be misleading the nation. He's stirring them up. He's getting them on his side. He's forming an army. He's going against the government. He's got a little group of people out there and he's, and he's getting them all together and he's going to come against the nation. Second, he's forbidding to give taxes to Caesar. He's not paying his taxes. He's not honoring Caesar. He's not submitting to the government. And lastly, he says he's the king. He's setting himself up as opposition to the Caesar, the Roman king. He's gathering an army. He's not honoring the government. And he's going to do his best to take the place of the king. That's the accusations that they bring to Pilate. And these are, are big accusations. What they're saying here as they bring this to Pilate is he's a traitor. He's a threat to Rome. They're making a case before Pilate that Pilate's going to say, I've got to kill this guy or he's going to come after us. In the previous trial, we, we've already studied, they, they said he was guilty of blasphemy. But they know not to bring that to Pilate because Pilate doesn't care about blasphemy. Pilate cares about treason. So they're making anything they can up trying to get Jesus killed. That's how much they hate Jesus. They're now making things up, crimes to rile up Pilate to get Jesus killed. They can't stand Jesus. So now Pilate, back to... Matthew 27, that's why he asked that question. You see, I had to explain that. That's why he said, art thou the king of the Jews? That's the question. Jesus is under the lights. He's being interrogated. And, and Pilate says, are you who, you who they say you are? Are you a threat to Rome? Should I watch out? Should I be worried? And Jesus at that moment doesn't look anything like some insurrectionist. He doesn't look like a king at all. He's bound. He's, he's bloody. He's bruised. He's, he's, he's been spit upon and slapped. I mean, he doesn't look like a king at all. And Pilate says, are you really a king? That's what they're saying about you. Is it true? It's an honest question. And how does Jesus respond? Two words. <laughs> And it's an honest answer. That's what you're saying. <laughs> That's what they're saying. That's what you're saying. I've got to take you to one more place. Just bear with me. John 18. To show that Jesus said more than two words. He explains Himself. John 18. I, I like hearing the pages turn. You guys know that. John 18, verse 33. Then Pilate entered the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Are you the king of the Jews? There it is. Are you a rebellious king against Caesar? Are you starting an insurrection? Are you a traitor to the kingdom? And Jesus answered and said, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of thee? Tell thee of me. And Pilate answered and said, Am I a Jew? <laughs> Thine own nation and your chief priests have delivered you unto me. What hast thou done? What, what are you guilty of? And Jesus answered and said, okay, I'm a king, yeah. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then I'd have my servants fighting. They'd have weapons. They'd be taking this place over. That I should not be delivered unto the Jews. But now is my kingdom not of this world. And Pilate answered and said unto him, art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, thou sayest that I am a king. So he says, I am a king. I have a kingdom. But it's not here and it's not now. If it was, I'd be overthrowing this place. My rulers would have swords and they'd be taking this place over. So Jesus says, yeah, but I'm not the king that they, that, that you, they say I am. I'm telling my people to pay taxes. I'm telling them to be good citizens. Every time they tried to stir me up to take something over, I told them to calm down. Because that's not the kind of kingdom that I'm after. And how do the leaders respond? 
Just keep reading. And when he's back, back, back to Matthew 27, I'm having you all over the place today. It says in verse 12, and when he was accused of the chief priests and the elders, he was, he answered nothing. They kept accusing him of more things. They kept throwing all kinds of things at Jesus, throwing more at him to see if anything sticks. Showing us that again that they absolutely hate Jesus and, and will do anything they can to get rid of him. These are vicious attacks. It's, it's, it's hatred. It's, it's red hot. These chief priests and these scribes, it's been stirring up in them for, for months and, and years. They want Jesus dead. They hate Jesus. This hate has been building, boiling over to this point now. It's ugly. Ugly hatred. And Jesus knew it was coming. And He told us it will come in our day too. This has been the, a typical response to Jesus throughout all history. When He was here, they hated Him. Despised Him and rejected Him and put Him on a cross all by Himself. And then when he, when he ascended into heaven, the hatred for Jesus the, was gone. He's gone. So now the target falls on the disciples and, and all of them were persecuted and hated and, and some of them even martyred. And then you go out through the centuries and, and it's always the followers of Jesus, the ones who love Him the most are hated most by the world. The hatred for Jesus has not stopped. And we're living in a world today where currently people hate Jesus. You say it's not true. People don't hate Jesus. Let me tell you that these people who want to abort babies and they want to protest today on Mother's Day, do you know where they're going today? They're not going to courthouses. They gathered up a storm to go to all the churches in America to show up on Mother's Day to protest because the church stands for life. They hate Jesus. You say, no, no, that's just one uh, instance. No. Stand up and, and preach that Jesus is the only way of salvation. You'll get some hatred. Stand up and tell people that their, that their sin is actually sin. I mean, you want to get some hatred thrown at you? You want to get some, some vicious things being said about you? Call out sin. You can get hatred in churches if you're going to preach the Bible. Some religious people are the most hate, hateful people in the, in the entire world. You stand up in the culture we're living in today and tell the truth, and you'll be just as hated as Jesus was. It ain't changed. He was despised and rejected. Why do we expect to be treated better than Jesus was? So the response to Jesus here is hatred. The Jewish leaders hated Jesus. And how did Jesus respond to the hatred? And I've got to get going. But look, look what it says. They, they hated Him. They, they accused Him. They're trying to, to get Him killed. And Pilate looked at Him. And in verse, in verse 12, He answered nothing. He didn't say a word. And Pilate said, Don't you hear these things are saying? Don't you hear it? Aren't you going to say anything? Aren't you going to d defend yourself? And it says he didn't even say a word. It's the beautiful silence of Jesus. He didn't have to say anything. Calm and quiet and meek in the face of all that hatred. And Pilate marveled. This hardened man had questioned thousands of witnesses in front of him. And now he's amazed because he'd never seen anything like Jesus. So this is the hated response. The leaders hated Jesus. So that was number one. The leaders hated Jesus. And again, there's people today that hate Jesus. You'll see that. You'll run across that. Second, the crowd here turned against Jesus. I'll say it this way. On one day, they loved Him. And then all of a sudden now, they hate Him. There are fickle people in our society today. Watch this. It says now, in, in verse 15, now at the feast of the governor, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner, whom they would. That was a custom that they had, that Pilate, Pilate here is convinced that Jesus is innocent. He don't want to put him to death. He's looking for a way out. So he says, aha, bright idea. A light bulb went off in his head. He said, I know what I'll do. I know how to get out of this. Jesus is innocent. I don't want to kill him, but I don't want to make the people mad. So I need to come up with a, a way out of this. Here's my solution. There's a custom we have that a leader gets to pardon somebody. I get to let somebody off. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to present them an option. I'll give them two people that, that I, can, I can release to them. And I know they'll release Jesus. I know they will. And, and who's the other guy? You guys know this guy. 
He may be one of the most famous people in the New Testament. He says, therefore, verse 15, verse 15 or verse 16, and they had, had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. This guy's well known. Let me just give you an idea of who he is. He's a hardened criminal. He's a thief. He's a murderer. He's an insurrectionist. He stirs up crowds. And by murderer, he would be an assassin. And an assassin, they take out a knife in the middle of a crowd and just walk up and stab people in the back that's not looking. That's who this guy is. He's a backstabber. This is a terrible guy. He's a terrorist. He's one of Israel's most wanted. He's despised by Rome and feared by Jews. He's scary. I wrote down in my notes here, he's one bad hombre. I want you to know that. He's a bad man. He's the exact opposite of what Jesus is. Jesus is a, a good man. And Barabbas is a, a bad man. They said Jesus was a, a thief, not paying taxes. He's an insurrectionist wanting to take over the kingdom. Everything they said about Jesus wasn't true, but it was true about Barabbas. So now he has this man standing up there and he's, again, everything Jesus isn't. So Pilate says, here we go. I know anybody with any common sense sees Barabbas, bad hombre. Jesus, great man. Nobody has found anything he's ever done wrong. Even Pilate stood up and said, I found no fault in this man. Innocent, guilty, great man, bad hombre. And he sets them before the crowd. And he says, here's your choice. You get Barabbas or you get Jesus. You get a criminal or you get Christ. Pilate, the politician, he's thinking, I've got myself out of this. I'll let the crowd decide. And Pilate's in there thinking, I know. Just a few days earlier, Jesus came in on a donkey and the same crowd cried, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They love Jesus. I know they'll choose Jesus and I've got myself out of this. Jesus is let off. Barabbas is crucified. And Pilate is scot-free. Perfect situation. I mean, Pilate's a, he's brilliant. If he was to run for president, we'd vote for him. Or half the nation would. <laughs> so now, watch this. He, he says to him before him, and he says, I'll listen to you, Barabbas, or Jesus, which is called the cross. Because he knew that Jesus hadn't done nothing wrong. They brought him there, it says in verse 18, just because they were jealous of him. So when he sat down on judgment seat, he's getting ready to offer it before the people. You ready? This is good. He sat down in the judgment seat. He sat down in the seat to make judgment. Big chair, you know. People scared. So here he goes. I'm going to sit down in my chair. I'm going to offer them Barabbas, and I'm going to offer them Jesus. I know what they'll do. And while he's sitting there getting ready, you know, he's got a smile on his face. He's thinking, I got this figured out. Somebody comes and whispers to him and says, Pilate, your wife wants you. <laughs> and when somebody says, your wife wants you, you get out of your judgment seat and you go see what the wife wants. Amen, yeah. So now we're introduced to, to Mrs. Pilate. I told, I told Gracie, she said, you preaching a Mother's Day sermon? I said, I got a woman in here. <laughs> I got Mrs. Pilate. And she, she's a good lady. She, she woke up, it's early in the morning. She looked at one of her servants and said, go get my husband. She said, he's busy. Go get my husband. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So she, the servant goes off and says, Pilate, your wife wants you. So there's an interruption here. And Pilate, being the good, smart politician, he goes and talks to his wife. So his wife sent for him. And what did she say? She said, honey, <laughs> I had a dream. I just woke up. I don't know if this is a warning from God or she ate some bad sushi. I don't know. People talk about dreams all the time. I don't think you can trust a dream. Because so you don't know whether it's bad pizza or whether it means something. People all the time saying, I had this dream, I had this dream, I had this dream, I had this dream. I'll tell you what you can trust. Don't trust your dreams. Trust the Word of God. Amen. We know it's always true. That's a sidebar. 
So his wife comes to him and says, Hey, listen, I had a dream last night. And it was about Jesus, that man. And she even calls him that just man. Do you see that? She says, Have nothing to do with that just man. Pilate has already said, I found no fault in this man. Now his wife's saying he's a just man, a righteous man, that in my dream I saw that he had done nothing wrong, so don't you dare do anything to this guy. I don't know what she saw in her dream. Did she see what was going to happen? That, that it was going to be that, that he was going to send Jesus to be crucified? And, and Pilate was going to end up committing suicide, which he does. And she's seeing what's going to happen. It's a, a foretelling of, of, of the end of, of this scene. And she's seeing it in her dream. And she wakes up and she says, Don't do this! So she tells him. You say, why in the world is that in this story? Because the wife, warning the husband, has given the Jewish leaders who hate Jesus an opportunity to sway the crowd. I believe if Pilate had asked for the vote, before his wife come and got him and interrupted him, that they would have wanted Jesus. I believe they would have said, release unto us Jesus and not Barabbas. But as he goes away to talk to his wife, look what's happening. But the chief priests in verse 20, and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. That's going on as Pilate is talking to Mrs. Pilate. He goes into the bedroom. She says, don't do it. And while he's in there, they're sitting there nudging people. We want Barabbas, not Jesus. We want Barabbas, not Jesus. Release Barabbas. Kill Jesus. And all this, this fickle crowd who loved him when he came into the city is now starting to be swayed by the rich and the powerful to turn on Jesus. Fickle crowd. They're persuading the word there means they're stirring them up. They're causing an earthquake. That's what the word means. That they're going around to this large crowd and they're getting them stirred up. They're getting a, a frenzy. They're starting to accuse Jesus into the whispering of the ears of all the people that are sitting there. He's a bad man. He said not to pay taxes. He's trying to stir everybody up. He's, he said he was a king and he's not done anything for us. You need to say, get Jesus. And all these guys and, and women are saying, you know what? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Power comes back out and all of a sudden, the crowd's changed. Wow. A little whispering, a little nudging, a little influencing. Go a long way. You can stir a crowd real fast. I was in Target yesterday. <laughs> Walking through the aisles, waiting on staff. She does her thing. Me and the boys. Isaiah here, Christian here, because wherever dad goes, my boys aren't far, far behind. Just walking down through there, we're goofing off. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get Christian real good. So I start slowly stepping a little bit to the side. Stepping a little bit to the side. He's talking in my ear off. Not paying attention to it at all. He has no idea what I'm doing. That I'm just nudging him a little bit, nudging him a little bit. Before you know it, Isaiah will tell you, I nudged him all the way into a dog food aisle. <laughs> There's a whole little thing set up there. And all of a sudden, Christian's falling over it. <laughs> we laughed and laughed. And I got in the car and I said, that's exactly how people are nudged into different viewpoints. Just a little bit here and a little bit there. And before you know it, you're in a dog food aisle. <laughs> and there's so many people, fickle followers of Jesus, who let society and culture and opinions and parents and kids nudge them into positions on Jesus that they should have never took. The response to Jesus that I am like the wind I can be here today and here tomorrow. I'm just going with the flow. I'm going with the, 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 the waves. I can be persuaded either way. I've said this. If I can persuade you to follow Jesus, somebody else can persuade you to follow something else. This crowd has been influenced. This crowd has been persuaded. So Pilate comes back out. <laughs> he, thinks he's got, he thinks he's got it figured out. His wife ruined it all. <laughs> Verse 21, the governor answered and said unto them, Okay, here we go. Which two? Will, which two? He says, Whether of the twain will you that I release unto you? 
still a smirk on his face. And their answer? I mean, you think how confident he was? Criminal or Christ? That is a easy, an easy, uh, easy question. Who do you want? That's like saying somebody that's in, in, a, in a prison for murder versus one of the greatest men in society. Do you want that guy on the streets again? And they say Barabbas. They say release the greatest criminal in Jerusalem. The most dangerous man in society. And Pilate is surprised. Look in verse 22. And that's when he gets to the question. He said unto them, what? That's how I interpret that what. He's in trouble now. Well then what do you want me to do with Jesus? What should I do with him? You want me to release Barabbas? This criminal, this terrible man. Well then what do you want me to do with Jesus? And the crowd cries out. The same crowd that cried Hosanna now cries out crucify. How easy can we be swayed? We need to be under the influence of the word of God constantly so we aren't swayed by the opinions and the views and the, the lies of the world. Who knows what people are whispering in the ears of your kids? They go off to college and go to a professor saying, Jesus isn't really what they say he is. Your pastor's a fool. And he might be. <laughs> your, your pastor's crazy. I've heard him. Don't listen to him. Your parents are nuts. Don't do that. Teachers in, in schools and, and viewpoints online, all that, just whispering in your ear, uh, things that aren't true about Jesus, all trying to, to sway you. And you're a fickle follower. So they're screaming, crucify! And it's not just that they, they want Him in prison. It's not just even that they want Him dead. When they say crucify, they want Him tortured and humiliated publicly. They're crying out this maniac cry, crucify, crucify, crucify. It's now become a chant among the crowd, crucify, crucify. Look what it says. Let Him be crucified. Verse 23, and the governor said, now the judge is defending Jesus. He knows he's done nothing wrong. Why? He says in verse 23, what evil has he done? Well, they cried. The word cried there is the same word when you go back to the, the day he came in on his triumphant entry, crying out Hosanna. Now they're crying out crucify. Let him be crucified. Wow. One day it's Hosanna, the next is crucify. We're within a week period. <laughs> You can find some people who are so faithful. Maybe not a six days difference. But you come across somebody you knew years ago and, and they used to be so on fire for Christ and now they're not. There was a, there's a response to Jesus that is so fickle. Fair weather followers. You guys know what a fair weather follower is. What about a fair weather fan? Somebody who loves their team when they're winning the Super Bowl. But they hate the team when they're bad. They loved Jesus when he was riding in triumphantly. But now they hate Jesus when he's bloody and bruised and not looking anything like a king. There's a lot of fickle followers out there. There's a lot of fickle followers in the church. They're easily led away. They're easily led astray. They go with the flow. They ride the wave. It's a very common response to Jesus. Even in John 6, he had crowds after him when he fed the multitudes. And when he started to teach them truths that were hard for them to understand, not hard to understand, but hard for them to swallow, they all walked away and didn't go with him anymore. I think we're seeing a whole lot of, in today's culture, people walking away. Times are getting hard. Jesus isn't near as popular as he used to be. Look at our churches. You know, most of the churches in, in, in our area were built during the Jesus boom of the 80s. <laughs> when churches were full, buses were packed, every church in the community was full every single Sunday, and times get hard, and all of a sudden, Jesus isn't as popular. The truth isn't the truth to them anymore. The things we used to say that everybody agreed with, they don't agree with anymore. And now churches across the, the country 
are empty and shutting down. Fickle followers. It's a very common response to Jesus. That's the second one. Third response. We've seen the leaders hated Jesus. The crowd turned against Jesus. Now I want to show you the judge, Pilate, washed his hands with Jesus. Look what it says. Because you may say, well, I'm not, I'm not a, a hated. <laughs> I don't hate Jesus. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not fickle, you know, not like that. Maybe you're like Pilate. Here's his decision. Verse 24, his hand has been forced. He's between a rock and a hard place. He's sitting there saying, Jesus is innocent. And if I let him go, I've got a crowd that's mad at me. <laughs> you, you see that? Uh, here, here's Jesus, and, and, and that's the choice that he has to make. The choice between Christ or, or the crowd. I mean, I hope you're with me here. That, that if he chooses Christ and he says, this man's innocent, my wife has warned me, I found no fault in him, I know you're only after him because you hate him and you're jealous of him, I need to let him go. That's the right thing to do. But if I do that, they'll hate me and I might end up dead. What's he going to do? He's tried to put it off, hasn't he? <laughs> he tried to put it off on, on the, the leaders. You take care of it. He tried to put it off on, on Herod. We don't have that scene in Matthew where he sent him off to Herod. You decide. And then he tried to let the crowd decide. You guys decide. And now he's going to have to make a decision. You can't put off Jesus for too long. So now it says in verse 24, Pilate saw that he couldn't get, he couldn't prevail nothing. Nothing was working. He's about to start a riot, it says. But that rather a tumult was made. And you know what it says in the other passages? It says that as they're crying out crucify, they're picking up dirt on the ground and throwing it in the air. I mean, this is a scene. There's a chant. Crucify. Dirt going in the air. Crowd gathering. More people coming. He tried to ignore Jesus, but you can't ignore Him. You can put Him off and put Him off and put Him off, but one day that question is going to echo in your ears, what should I do with Jesus? So what does He do? He has to make a decision. He knows He's innocent. And if He, if he goes the crowds away, His conscience is going to eat Him alive, Right? He's going to be like Judas. I put together, I put to death an innocent man. So what does he do? Get this. He doesn't want to go with the crowd. He doesn't want to free Jesus. So he does what a lot of people do when looking at Jesus. They find a neutral position. They try to straddle the fence. Look what he does. He brings out a basin of water. I probably got Mrs. Pilate to go get that. Told a servant, go tell Mrs. Pilate, she's already interrupted me once, to bring me some water. And he brings it out, and he, this is symbolic, this is a Jewish way of saying, takes his hands and washes them and says, it's out of my hands. No guilt on me. Washed his hands symbolically. Do what, here's what it is, do whatever you want to do, but it's not on me, that guilt is not on me. I'm not going to put him to death, I'm not going to let him go. I'm going to be right here in the middle where there's no guilt to fall on me. People want that. I don't want to be all out for Jesus. I don't want to leave the crowd either. So I think I'll play in the middle. So they scream back at him, Okay! Verse 25, All the people said, His blood be on us and our children. That is a monumental statement. You turn to Acts 5, you don't have to turn there. When Peter's preaching, they stand up in front of him and say, you're trying to say that his blood's on our hands. Pilate shows here the political, politically correct move to make. To remain neutral. He doesn't hate him like the leaders. You get that? He doesn't hate Jesus. Pilate doesn't hate him. You almost start to sympathize with him a little bit, don't you? I mean, I did as I was reading this. I'm thinking, this guy, he's, he's having a hard time. I mean, he's struggling. He don't hate Jesus. He's not antagonistic. He doesn't have animosity towards Jesus. He actually almost seems to like Jesus a little bit. He's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. I don't want to put him to death. 
My wife has already warned me. I mean, you're like, okay, I get this guy. He doesn't hate Jesus, but he doesn't love him enough to let him go. There's a lot of people out there who don't hate Jesus, but they don't really love him either. And there's a lot of those people in church. They'll do just enough to get the guilt off their hands. You with me on this? They'll come to church just to wash their conscience a little bit. They'll read their Bible just enough to, to wash their conscience a little bit. They, they, they'll, they'll pray just enough to wash their conscience and think, I'm doing good. I'm not too bad. I don't hate Him, but I don't love Him. I, I'm doing just enough. It's a neutral response to Jesus. Oh, they're everywhere. They love to pray, play to the crowd. They, they, they still do their own thing and have a little bit of church along with it. Oh, there's a lot of neutral followers of Jesus. They still want to live like hell. They want to go to heaven while they're doing it. They love the crowd. They want to appease their conscience. But they do not want to be committed to Christ. Pilate should have made an easy decision. I'm sticking with Christ no matter what. This man's an innocent man. Let the crowd do whatever the crowd does. But he found an innocent way to go about it. Wash my hands. Done. It was indifference that sent Pilate to hell. It was neutrality that sent Pilate to hell. It wasn't a bad response, but it wasn't the right response. Last response. What are you going to do with Jesus? The leaders hated him. The crowd turned against him. Pilate washed his hands with him. And now the criminal was spared by Jesus. This is my favorite part. Verse 26. You see this? This is so good. It says they released Barabbas and they condemned Jesus. They scourged Jesus and delivered Him to be killed, to be crucified, to be humiliated. I want you to see there's an exchange there. This is, is Barabbas was sitting in a jail cell. He woke up on this morning and he was guilty he was evil. He was condemned. He was ready to be judged. And he deserved every bit of it. When Barabbas was sitting in that jail cell, and it doesn't say this, because there's 38 verses about Barabbas in the, in the Gospels. Never says a word. It's almost like God wants us to put a spotlight on Barabbas. So Barabbas is sitting in this jail cell. He's waking up that morning, and he knows what the day awaits. He knows what's happening. They, they say that the day before somebody is, is put to death, that, that, that their morning, is, no matter if you give them a last meal or not, that they're just, they're just consumed. I'm going to die today. They say when, when somebody would, would be about to get hung, that, that, that they would sit there and they'd, they'd rub their neck for a day or two at a time, knowing that's how they're going to go. I mean, they just can't stop thinking about, I'm going to die today. I'm going to be judged today. So you can imagine Barabbas sitting there in a jail cell and he's looking at his hands. There's going to be nails here today. There's going to be nails in my feet today. I'm going to die today. And I deserve every bit of it. He's condemned. He's ready to be judged. And as he's sitting there in his jail cell, probably rubbing his hands, thinking there's no way out. It's coming and it's coming soon. Probably sitting with the two thieves right beside of him. There's a cross hanging at the window of the jail cell. They're, they're going to put it up there on that mountain. I'm going to go there. And he hears the guards coming. Keys clanging. Other people in the prison doing dum dum da dum dum da dum da dum da dum And they come to the cell and they unlock it. And they open it up. And he stands. And he knows. Unless there's a miracle take place, I'm going to die. And I'm going to be in hell by the end of the day. And they look at Barabbas. And they walk him out to the door. And he thinks the whole time he's going to die on a cross. And they look at him. And they unlock what was holding his hands. And they say, you're free. Can you imagine Barabbas' face? You serious? <laughs> they're going to shoot. They're going to stab me in the back when I walk out of here. 
You're free. Why am I free? Because there's a man, Jesus, who just took your place. They released Barabbas. And they delivered Jesus over to be crucified. And Jesus is the, the complete opposite of Barabbas. Jesus is innocent as Barabbas is guilty. Jesus has is, been very clear throughout the whole process The religious leaders couldn't find anything. Even Judas said, he's innocent, man. His blood is, is innocent. And then Pilate, he's innocent. Pilate's wife, innocent. Herod, innocent. Everybody's saying innocent, innocent, innocent. You have a guilty man being set free while an innocent man will be judged. Jesus deserves to be free, but he takes Barabbas' place. Barabbas would have been scourged. You say, what does that mean? It's a way to weaken a criminal before they go to the cross. So they would take and they'd lay them, and it says they did that to Jesus. They'd lay them on a, on a, on a stone or on a piece of wood and tie them down and take a cat of nine tails that had bone and glass and stone in it, and they would take it and they would swipe their back and rip it off. 39 to 40 swaps. Jesus got that instead of Barabbas. And then Jesus would take His scourging, His sail, His cross in the middle, and His crucifixion. This is a picture of, and I think that's why the Bible wants us to see Barabbas. This is a very graphic scene of substitution. That Jesus literally took that cross for Barabbas. That cross belonged to Barabbas. And Barabbas was just the first in line. <laughs> I was in that line. I was headed that way. Barabbas represents every single one of us in this room today. We are all more like Barabbas than we are Jesus. We're all guilty and vile and evil and corrupt and guilty and deserving of punishment and condemnation and hell. Every single one of us. And that music should be playing in our ears. If you're not saved, you should know that that music, bum, 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 bum. It's coming. It's coming. And the only way you can get out of going to judgment and condemnation and hell and curses of God is to know that Jesus took your place. That Jesus as a, a substitute, He who knew no sin became sin for us. That He took our cross. That that cross belonged to me. It didn't just belong to Barabbas. I should go there. And I should take the scourging and the punishment and the condemnation. I should have dropped down the wrath of Almighty God. But Jesus took my place. He could have easily at any moment spoke up, but He was silent. Silent so we could be saved. And He went to a cross and He died for the guilty, the vile criminal like me he was judged in our place so that we can be set free and treated as innocent what? I can be set free you better believe you can if you put your faith in Jesus Charles Spurgeon said I love this quote my entire theology can be condensed to four words Jesus died for me. Yeah. Now let me ask this question and I'll close. This is a beautiful picture of substitution. Yes. Did Barabbas get it? You say, what do you mean? Will I see Barabbas in heaven one day? I hope so. I don't know how he could miss it. I don't know that he would look at Maybe he even, he even was... Can you think about it? How, how could he miss it? I don't know how he responded to Jesus. I know that he was spared by Jesus, but can you imagine him being set free and then him going up to the to Golgotha to watch it happen as there's a thief here, his friend, and a thief here, his friend, them working together to cause an insurrection against Rome. And in the middle cross, that was me. It should have been me on the cross. And he watches. Can you imagine? I imagine him watching in the crowd. Oh my, he's my substitute. He exchanged my place. There's nothing I won't do for Him. 
I hope his heart was changed. I hope his whole way of living was changed. I hope he saw that and said, no more thievery. No more murder. No more insurrection. No more bad hombre. I'm putting my faith in that man. The man on the middle cross. How could he miss it? Nobody understood substitution like Barabbas. What a theology lesson he had. Jesus died for me. I don't know. I hope to see Barabbas in heaven one day. I hope to walk up to him and say, did, 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 the, other, did the other guys do bum, 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 <laughs> Are you really a bad hombre? <laughs> because you know what? I'm a bad hombre too. I was too. You were. We all were. But that great Savior went to a cross and died in my place. Man, don't you miss it. Don't you dare. Maybe Barabbas missed it. Maybe he, he was set free and, and there it was. A substitution in his place. And he walked out of that jail cell and went and kept living like hell the rest of his life and went to hell. Maybe. Because there's all kinds of people that have this question in front of them. What should I do with Jesus? And they see the cross. And they see substitution. And they see a way. And they go on out there to live like hell. You might as well hate Jesus just like the leaders if you're going to do that. I don't know how you can see substitution and not say, I believe in that man. My whole faith is in Him who died for me. My faith is in Him. I live for Him. I love Him. I don't know how you can see substitution and your whole life not be changed. And your response be faith. So my question to you is, what will you do with this man Jesus? I don't know that you'll get another chance to respond. I don't know if that question will ring in your ears again. I know that for Pilate it didn't. History says he went on to, to commit suicide just like Judas did. The crowd, I think they got another choice. I think in Acts 2, and Acts 3, and Acts 4, as thousands are getting saved, that same question is ringing in their ears and some of that same people in the crowd get saved. But I don't know that you'll get another opportunity. This might be the last time somebody asks you this question. And the, and the right answer is only put your faith in Jesus. Give Him your all. Right? Jesus is my all in all. He's everything. That's the right response. Somebody who would do that for me, there's nothing in this world I wouldn't do for Him. My faith is in Him. My life is for Him. I love Him. Don't run from it. Don't put it off. Put your faith in Jesus today because that's the only right answer. And if you don't, this question will be ringing in your ears throughout all eternity. Not what should I do, but why didn't I do it? Why didn't I put my faith in Jesus? There was a chance. There was an opportunity. That old silly preacher kept preaching and showing me substitution. And it was me. I'm Barabbas. But I walked away. Tried to remain neutral. Tried to play both ends. I was fickle. But listen to this. All three of those responses, Pilate, the crowd, the Jewish leaders, different responses all sent them to the same place. There's only one right response. It's faith in Jesus. Let me give you this and I'll close. If you can get that question right, of what will I do with Jesus, and it's faith in Him, if you get that right, then the other three big questions will be right too. I came from Jesus who created all things. That I am fearfully and wonderfully made by the mind and the very hand of God. That's where I came from. He formed me and He made me just as I am. I came from Him. I live for Him. My purpose in life is now Jesus. And when I die and close my eyes, the first face that I will see will be the man who died for me. You answer the big question, and all these other questions will fall into place. But the question is, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. It's, it's painful. I, I, I see in this passage great sadness for some of these responses. I do. And, and I know this is just seen from a long time ago. 
But I have a great sadness because there's people in here who are going to respond the same way. There's people here uh, maybe hate Jesus. Can't stand the truth. And God, I pray that you'd melt their heart. Melt that heart of stone. There's people here who are fickle. They may love Him today, but who knows where they'll be tomorrow. I pray that they would put their full faith and commitment in You. There's probably people in here who's trying to play both ends to the middle. They're trying to play in the crowd and do the things of the world, but they're also trying to follow Jesus. I pray that You'd let them know that that's no way to go. Being neutral will send you to hell. And God, I pray that we don't know about Barabbas. We don't know. But we can know about ourselves. And I pray if there's anybody in here with doubt this morning, that you would, by your spirit, convict them, show them their need of Jesus, and they put their faith in him once and for all today. We thank you for this time of study, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.